Welcome to episode 183 of the Formula One Grid Talk podcast. Today we are here to preview the 2022 Australian Grand Prix. My name is Ruby Price and joining me today we have Tom Downey from Everything F1. Hello. Jawa Jakub from Hit the Apex podcast. Hello. And Ray from Every Ray Day Motorsport. Hello. Hello. First, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you could take five to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll shout out all of you who do to say thanks. And if you're one of the 74% of people who aren't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please consider helping us out with a like and a subscribe. So that's right. Australia is back for 2022 and long has it been missed. Whilst we're used to seeing the staple circuit open the Formula One calendar, the 3.8 mile circuit. I'm reading the wrong line. That's great. Um, this year, we arrive in Melbourne for round three of the championship, and we still don't know who the favourites are to take the crown at the end of the season. But first, let's start off with a bit of news. Returns are in full swing. As earlier this week, it was announced that the 2023 will see Formula One race in Las Vegas. The 3.8-mile circuit around the Vegas Strip will be the third race in the USA next season, alongside Miami and Cota, and interestingly, will be held on a Saturday night. So, Jawad, Saturday night race, Formula One is a global sport, and I'm sure being an Aussie, you're already used to some pretty crazy time schedules. You know, how do you see people responding to this big change? You know, the last Saturday race we had in Formula One was the 1985 South African Grand Prix. I certainly hope they respond positively. Um, Obviously, as you mentioned, there is a... you know, let's call it a minority of people, strong minority of people all over the world and in this part of the world that do have to watch Formula One, the sport that they love at such strange times and whatnot. Um, we actually here benefit from the Saturday night race there because it's on, I think, at 4 p.m. in the afternoon for us on a Sunday. So it still feels like Grand Prix Sunday for us, even though it will be Saturday night. But, um, yeah, you know, it's... Truly, I guess, you know, when when you think of it as a world championship, you know, you want to go to other venues all over the world, explore new cities or continents, you know, hopefully, you know, we can um, explore other continents that haven't been on the championship for a while as well in the future. But um, for Liberty Media, such a big tick, given the fact that, you know, they wanted to increase the sports present in the US and now they've got a third race happening from next year so i hope certainly we get a positive reaction um i've always said i'm not a fan of you know expanding the calendar too much you know because it's just going to become such a load for the crews and the staff that travel with um the sport and the teams so you know i just hope yeah we we get a good first race um they're only on a three-year deal as well so if it doesn't work out um then yeah obviously they can uh put that one in the dustbin yeah and i completely agree with you as well about expending the calendar so much whilst also you know claiming to be moving forward with making formula one and eco i don't want to say friendly but at least neutral sport whilst at the same time this season you know there's they travel to america on three separate occasions across the year you know when there's obviously reasons behind it such as you know weather and climate but you know, have them all together if you're going to do that. But yeah, expanding the calendar is quite the uh, task that Limited Media have got. And it seems to be something that they are absolutely doing. But Tom, uh, Jawad touched on this a little bit. 
you know, we've heard before that Formula One has struggled to crack America. Do you think that this time, obviously, there's three races happening next season? Have they finally done it? Um, I think I think I've wondered begun to do it even before we had sort of this talk of additional races in America. If you look at Austin from last year, right? Look at how big the crowds were. Look at how many people were there. You know, look at how sort of well populated that event was. Um obviously helped by Martin Brundle's running with that rapper lady um on on the on on his grid walk. Um but yeah uh F1 is definitely growing in America and it, and it has been growing steadily for, for the last couple of years. Sometimes, maybe to me, it seems a bit not, I don't want to say like Americanized because that's very stereotypical, um, but it seems like it's got a lot more sort of theater around it, or it's, you know, it's got a lot more sort of pantomime, maybe. It's like there was one year when they had Vettel and Hamilton walking out, um, you know, sort of like either side of the trophy. And all I was waiting for, you know, I think the only thing we, it was really missing was like Randy Orton coming out and trying to, you know, KO one of them or something. Um, but it was, yeah, it, hopefully it's a good thing. And Vegas, you know, is, it is one of those sort of like iconic things, you know, having seen the circuit, would it present the, the best racing? I don't know. It's going to be pretty flat. Um, you know, because you know, I've been to Vegas, it is relatively flat. You know, it, you know, unless the pit lane goes through the Grand Canyon or something, I don't really see how it's going to, uh, you know, how it's going to have too much elevation change. But in terms of the sort of commercial event, much like places like Monaco, um, you know, or you know, we've got Miami coming up, it's going to do good for the sport, I think, because it's going to bring more people to Vegas. Yeah, okay, they're probably not going to sit in the casinos, you know, with their with their credit cards sort of affixed to the machines, but it. It, hopefully it will do good for the sport. It'll do good for F1, which is beginning to sort of lay down some roots in, in America. Plus, obviously, with Haas being an actual American team, not a Russian team like they were last year, um, you know, and and the talks of Andretti, maybe, you know, well, you know, not even, you know, not even maybe, but to, you know, with Andretti at some point coming into F1, just a question of how he's coming into F1. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's going to grow. It is growing and it is doing well for F1. Um, yeah. Whether Vegas is the best race, I don't know. But Formula One can't just appease the sort of diehard, somewhat elitist, old school fans who are like, "Oh my God, it's Spa or nothing." You know, there are good modern circuits out there. So you know, so we, you know, they. They have to please everyone, and it's going to bring money. Is you know, ultimately, a race like this is going to bring money into the sport, which is going to keep circuits like Spa, Silverstone, Monza going. Yeah, a very, very good point. Uh, it has been said a lot of times, but cash is king, and to fund a sport like this, you need cash, which is where a lot of interesting sponsorship deals come from but Ray uh, just a last touch on uh, Las Vegas you know we were expecting a sort of car park circuit when you know it was all teased but this is more of a tour of Las Vegas you know with like the circuit taking drivers past all sorts of landmarks like casinos uh, MSG Sphere Arena Paris Las Vegas Resort and of course the Caesars Palace Hotel Um, Tom touched on this a little bit it will probably be a particularly flat circuit, but tell me, what do you expect from the 2023 Las Vegas Grand Prix? What do I expect about the race? I think the first thing I'll probably expect is 
ticket prices will be very expensive because we are talking about Las Vegas here and you know it's not a cheap area it's definitely not easy to close the roads because it's a night race so Singapore is also a night race it's not it's really quite expensive to actually close the roads and you know with all the lighting infrastructure you're going to have to install it's not going to be cheap and I think when when it comes to like you know the tourists I think it's going to do a lot for Las Vegas like the Singapore Grand Prix actually did a lot for tourism in Singapore and every year we actually have a lot of tourists coming in just for the race so so much so that they actually renewed it you know once again after you know COVID started you know get a bit better worldwide so I think it will actually you know benefit Las Vegas greatly and in terms of the racing like Tom said, we don't know if it's going to be good or bad. You know, I think fingers crossed that, you know, with the current uh, new cars that we have, so far the racing has been pretty good. And, you know, fingers crossed that it will continue to be good in 2023. And, you know, while Vegas may be a flat circuit, hopefully we'll get something, some kind of action, some of like, like, like we see in Baku. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm envisioning something a bit Baku-ish as well in terms of, you know, street circuit walls, very tight and twisty in some sections. And that two kilometer straight, I think it, no, not two kilometer, two mile straight. What, however long that straight is, that's going to either see some great racing or it's going to see DRS. <laughs> and we've had a lot to talk about with DRS, but um, just one last thing on the news as well. I think I, have, I speak for everyone when I'm going to extend um, F1 Grid Talks, you know, love and support to the family of Max Mosley who passed this week. It's you know, a name that is synonymous with Formula One. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to talk about this kind of thing. But as I say, uh, the love and support to Max Mosley's family from Formula One Grid Talk. But yeah, uh, moving back on to Australia then. So, Jawad, slightly different Australian circuit. They've done a lot of reprofiling. They've changed some of the corners and stuff, which were planned for last season, but we didn't quite get it because of COVID. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you um, expect to see this weekend coming up? Um, <laughs> don't know what to, what I'm expecting. I'm hoping that it'll be a lot more exciting. So over the last few years, in particular with the previous era of car, uh, a lot of the criticism of Albert Park was that overtaking was not really a thing um, that was seen and the races were boring, yada, yada. Um, but we've had, you know, such great action so far in the first couple of races with this new generation of car. Um, see how uh, two cars can fight and when one passes, the other one has a chance of getting back past, you know, pretty much straight away rather than having to wait the next lap or, you know, the tyres are gone and whatnot. Um, most of the corners, they have actually widened them, which is good to see there. They've changed some of the camber as well. We've gotten rid of the turn nine and ten chicane too, so it's effectively uh, curved straight. Um, and then they're talking about possibly even having a fourth DRS zone. So, you know, get 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 our heads around that um, being a thing. So, you know, given the fact that these changes, like you said, were planned for last year and for the previous generation car, I think with the new car um, this year, it's only going to make Albert Park great, you know, a great spectacle. And, you know, I'm obviously gutted that it's not the first race of the year uh, like we've we're used to it 
but you know it's so good to see it back the atmosphere you can feel in the city and everything that people are excited and the fact that it's sold out as well i think it's the first time in more than a decade that they've actually sold out all your all your weekend tickets as well so again that is that influence that you know Tom talked about with with Austin being sold out? Not necessarily with because of American fans, but just because of how exciting the championship has been the last couple of years, and we've got such a great battle on our hands at the moment between uh, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. So Albert Park is going to be a buzz come um, Thursday, Friday this week. Yeah, absolutely, and of course, you know, two years without it on the calendar, and it has certainly been missed. You know. I always imagined, you know, waking up at early o'clock in the UK to miss half of the Australian Grand Prix because I inevitably fall asleep because I'm not used to the clocks changing. But Tom, you know, how much is Formula One needed to be back in Australia, do you think? Um, I think uh, to say needed to be back in Australia, you know, maybe not needed, but I think it is great that they are going back there. Um, you know, it's the first home race that Danny Rick is going to have had for two years. It's mad to think that the last time he had a home race, it was his first race since he left Red Bull. Because it was his first year with Renault. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It, it, you know, it's like trying to wrap your head around that one. It's just like that puts into, into perspective how long it's been because he was 2019. The last time we raced there, um, but no, it's it's good. Everyone's going there, you know. The, as Jared sort of touched on, there were some changes to the circuits, many widening corners, getting rid of that sort of fast left right, which is turn nine ten. I actually quite like that section playing it on this one game, but I also used to just have to yeet it straight across the grass, um, and this is why I'm not a professional driver. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, you know it, it's good because F1 is a global sport and. You know, it needs to be in pretty much each continent. I mean, I don't think we'll have a race in the Antarctic anytime soon. Um, but um, but you know, to have something back in that sort of Oceania region um is only a good thing. And you know, it it does feel a bit weird not having Australia open the um uh open the calendar this year. Um I mean, aside from, you know, 2019, 2020, obviously, when the seasons were somewhat curtailed, I think the last time we didn't have Australia open a quote-unquote regular season was, what, 2012, 2011, something around then. Um, as, far as, my, as far as my memory could recall, it's always gone Australia, um, Bahrain, and then China, or Australia, China, Bahrain, sort of that, you know, that that grouping of, of races. Um no, it's it's good. I'm looking forward to going back there. Obviously, it's nice for our um, you know, for our somewhat more easterly based colleagues such as Jared and Ray that they can watch a race at a respectable hour um, and make us Europeans suffer. Um, you know, I'm you know I'm going to be sitting there at the TV with you know, that cocktail sticks in my eyes to hold my eyelids open. Um, you know, try and make sure I get off Call of Duty nice and early the night before so I can get a good sleep in. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's it's good. It's a decent track, you know. Not necessarily had the best races recently. Um, you know, I, I think the sort of like the biggest thing I can remember recently was when Alonso had that huge impact in 2016 with I think it was Gutierrez in Haas's first race. Um, and then yeah, you know, aside from that, I haven't really sort of I can't remember the last time we had a proper sort of banger there. Um, but regardless, it'll be good to be good to get back there. You know, it's nice to get these sort of, you know, 
after, after you know so many years of turmoil, effectively with the F1 calendar, it's nice to be getting back to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things as well, Ray, that's going to make this Australian Grand Prix is the fact that, you know, they are bringing back the spectacle of the Australian Grand Prix. Like, it's more of a matter of, you know, as Tom has mentioned, historically, it's not it's not really been known for the best racing, but it's been known for the association of the start of the season. You know, one of the things as well that I think is going to work for it is the re- the returning to Australia aspect of it. But really, you know, we've seen this season that cars can follow and race. And I think that has the potential to make this um, Australian Grand Prix something of a hopefully classic touch wood. I agree. Yeah, I think, you know, it could be a classic because this is the first time I think, you know, we are going to a circuit, you know, in Asia for some time. So, I mean, uh, or rather to the east the part of the world for some time. And it's probably one of those you know, main stage tracks that haven't exactly been the most exciting, you know, with the current with previous generation of cars. So I think there will be a lot of eyes to see, you know, will this Will the changes with how effective the tech, just how effective the tech, new technical regulations are, and you know allowing cars to overtake and race, like I said, you know it previously overtaking you know wasn't always a really good thing in Australia. Action wasn't always there, but yeah, if the cars can race well in Australia, I think you know some of the more tighter circuits like Singapore or you know maybe even Monaco, we will know that you know that. These races will probably be more exciting than you know how they were like in the previous era of F1. Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna I think the new regulations so far appear to have worked. And you know, if we can even speculating that we can see actual legitimate overtakes in Monaco, that's gonna be pretty like I think it's something that, that will that circuit and especially based on its recent reputation will need. But anyway. Sticking with Australia, let's start talking about some cars. Um, Ferrari currently leading the championship, Duad. Um, you know, they've got one win, four podiums. You know, we 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 expected it going into the season after um after testing, but they are absolutely here and they are currently sort of just dominating, but that's also down to the unfortunate demise that Red Bull had in Bahrain. But this is Ferrari's championship, I would say, right now. Do you think they're going to capitalise on that? Um, certainly, yes. Still a bit too early to say because Ferrari do often fall into habit of not being able to string together the entire season. They'll make it to kind of the midway point and then drop off, as we've seen in previous seasons when Sebastian Vettel was um, fighting Lewis Hamilton. But Australia is somewhere they've been successful for quite a number of years um even going back to sebastian vettel when he was there at ferrari won in 17 and 18 back to back um there's such a strong almost tifosi like following in melbourne in particular for um ferrari as well so you know you'll probably see more or as much red as you would see orange for daniel ricardo um so it's definitely somewhere that I can see them put their foot down. I would like to see um, Carlos Sainz have a 
better weekend or, you know, a version of what he thinks is a better weekend. You know, he obviously doesn't feel like he's on the same level as his teammate at the moment, but, you know, that's also just the brilliance of Leclerc, um, you know, having spent two years not being able to compete for wins and for um, the pointy end of the grid, uh, we're seeing this really, really strong uh, Leclerc out and, you know, Max is going to have his hands full if um can't get it together this weekend. And Albert Park has typically been a circuit in the hybrid era, which Red Bull haven't really succeeded at. I think they've only had one podium since 2014, which came at the last race we had in 19 with, with Max, which was the first um, podium for a Honda-powered car as well. So, you know, that record doesn't speak very kindly of them, but, um, you know, they're going to have to do a bit of work to turn that around. But, yeah, Ferrari very much looking the favourites. Yeah, absolutely. And, Tom, um, I can't believe I'm still saying this after all of the trouble that we had I say we that they had, you know, preseason, but Mercedes currently P2 in the constructors. I know it's not likely to last for much longer unless they these upgrades that they're supposedly bringing to the Australian Grand Prix, you know, fully switch on the car. You know, um, they're bringing a new floor, I think it is, and they'll obviously be making other upgrades as well. You know, do you see them being able to claw back this gap that they've got this weekend? Nah. Basically, um, no, they've got there's something fundamentally not quite right with that Mercedes car. I don't know if it's you know, obviously I'm not an engineer, but you know, not a front engineer anyway. Um, it's I don't know if it's just the aero or if it's the package of the aero and the power unit or if it's the power unit packaging. Oh, I don't know what it is, but if you look at that car when it's going around, you know, it, it just doesn't have the grunts and the sort of precision that you've come to expect from from Mercedes over the last what seven eight years now you know if you look at their cars from like 2020 even last year you know you know the car was you know which was sort of somewhat curtailed by the regulation changes the car still like you know, turned on a sixpence and they you know they had incredible speeds you know, you know on circuits which had long straights all the rest of it but yeah, Mercedes have been quite badly affected by these 2022 regulations, I'd say. You know, if you look at the way that the car is you know, effectively twerking all the way down these like long straights and stuff, it's just they just haven't got their head around it. And I you know, unless they bring a sort of fundamental redesign, I don't know how you know how well they're gonna hold on. I don't they're not gonna keep P2 in the, in the constructors. I think we. I think it's safe to say the Red Bull will overtake them pretty damn soon, um, and it was only Red Bull's misfortune that gave Mercedes that position in the first place. But like I always say on these podcasts, you play the hand you were dealt, and both Red Bulls just conked out in front of the Mercedes. So it's a golden opportunity to take it, obviously. Um, but it doesn't tell the entire story because the Red Bull, you know, Ferrari are their team to beat this year. We can see that, and Red Bull are pretty damn close behind them. I would I would argue that Mercedes are best of the rest this year, and I don't see them catching up. To I don't see you know maybe they get closer to, to Red Bull. I could be completely wrong, and in a few weeks I could be on this podcast sitting here going, "Well, bugging me sideways, wasn't I wrong? Look at Mercedes, woohoo! Here we go again." But 
from what we've seen so far, I just can't see it coming. I, I cannot see that happening because there just seems to be such a deficit between them and the top two teams that, yeah, they're just, you know, soon they're going to be, I reckon they're going to be sort of like 70 points behind or something you know, after a couple of races. Um, and, yes, and, and you know, they're just going to, you know, even if they do bring all the upgrades in the world, we saw how much effort that took last year for them. Um, and, and this year, they're just, you know, they're, they're starting with one hand tied behind their back effectively. So it's just, I just, I just don't see how they're going to make up all that difference and, and what, and what they're going to change. Um, you know, call me a cynic and obviously I am a Red Bull fan, but you, you know, please take this with a pinch of salt. It is nice. Oh, no, nice is not the right word, but, but to see, to see another team at the top, is uh, hello. Sorry, my cat's just walked in. Um, and I just heard a squeak from behind me. Um, you know, it, it is nice to, yeah, no, nice isn't the right word again. Um, it's good for F1 that we have a different team at the top who has become the team to beat. Uh, and uh, yeah, in fact, I'll describe it as much like a kind of Red Bull, it's refreshing. Um, so we will, uh, you know, so we'll, uh, yeah, so. I just don't see how Mercedes are going to get that far up, up the field this year. And I'm going to shout now. I have never heard anybody describe a can of Red Bull as refreshing. No, I think sickly okay. is the word. <laughs> um, speaking of Red Bull then, Ray, um, Red Bull obviously P3 at the minute in the constructors, but as we've mentioned three times already, you know, it's because they had that double DNF in Bahrain, but you know, that's what the stats will say at the end of the season, um, you know. But, you know, we know that they're going to be competitive in terms of the top two teams this weekend. However, as I think it was Jawad that pointed out, um, they've not historically done well in the hybrid era of Formula One at Albert Park. Do you think that this time things will be different? I'm thinking it could be different, but, you know, I think the thing to be concerned about with Red Bull is the reliability because ever since Red Bull took over, took over, you know, in the sense from Honda on the engine side, things haven't been so good. In fact, it's actually been somewhat reminiscent of the McLaren Honda days where we had Yuki Snowda breakdown on the formation lap last uh, in Saudi Arabia. And if I, if, I, if memory serves me correctly, the same thing happened in Bahrain. So there's a concern about reliability. It's not because you can have a fast car, but if you don't have reliability, you're not going to win anything. It's not about being the fastest, but also having the reliability to finish the race because, you know, as, as we saw in, um, in Bahrain, it's, there, there wasn't just, it just wasn't there. So I'm thinking if Bull can somehow, you know, make the, make the changes in within the two weeks ahead between Saudi Arabia between Saudi Arabia and Australia, you know, they could do something to the engine side to fix the reliability gremlins. I think Red Bull are well placed, you know, to put up a strong fight in Australia and hopefully and you know do well and end their rotten streak of Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we saw in twenty twelve with McLaren who arguably had the fastest car of the season, they had horrible reliability 
And, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't beat Red Bull for that season. But yeah, on to P4, Jawad, Alpine. Um, a lot has been said about the way that they handled their race strategy between their two drivers last race. Um, you know, should they have been allowed to race each other in certain times of the Grand Prix? But, you know, how do you see them moving forward this weekend? They're in a good position. They seem competitive enough, and especially when you've got other teams behind them as well. Uh, I personally enjoyed watching Alonso and Ocon go at each other. Not that it mattered for Alonso in the end with that DNF, um, but, you know, Ocon getting his elbows out, you know, being a bit more, uh, let's say, cleaner about his racing and overtaking as well at the moment. So it's it's hard. You know, we could talk about the entire midfield and, you know, still not come to a conclusion about who's there. You know, Mercedes definitely seem, like you guys said, definitely seem to be at the top of that pile. Um, but I don't feel like Alpine have a car that's quick enough to be where they are at the moment, but they're there on circumstance and the fact that you know they've had some points finishes which has been good for for both cars and then of course just Ocon in the previous race how they'll go this weekend you know that's you just see how how it all shapes up and you know once we get first practice underway we'll get a read at who's who's quick you know if you qualify in the top 10 here that's that's amazing good good job well done you know that could potentially be uh, where you finish during the race if if there's no overtaking. But, you know, as we've seen, these guys, they're Alonso and Ocon in particular, aren't afraid to get their elbows out and will put on a bit of a show. And that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. We really want a show. And also one of the things that I am kind of looking forward to with the Alpines in Australia is I'm not going to look at their car and immediately think racing point because they're going to the actual livery for the season as opposed to the um, Middle East and special, which was just the whole pink BWT. And whilst I like it, I, I look at that car and I see racing point because, you know, that's just what I see, but it's going to be nice to be thinking, Hey, that's Alpine rather than a car that hasn't been on the grid for two seasons. It definitely looks a lot better with the pink, um, accents and whatnot rather than just being all pink um having that pink and blue combination looks a lot more better i'll admit so that'll be good to see too yeah absolutely so tom onto a car as well that also looks a lot better this season than i was expecting um the Haas is really performing it seems you know they've got kevin magnuson in who has clawed 12 points for a team that you know, didn't even score that many points in the last two seasons combined. Um, they've really sort of, obviously there was a whole other aspect in play, but they've really played a blinder with getting Kevin Magnussen back in that car. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's nice to see Kevin back in the car and, you know, having both him and Hulkenberg so chatting to each other in the, in the last few races was quite funny as well. Um, after they offered an encounter with each other in Hungary in 2017, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah. It's 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 done good for Haas. Um, 
not just in the sense that they've got a good driver with a you know a sort of decent track record in F1, you know, scored a podium with Davey from McLaren at Australia, nonetheless. Um, and yeah, it's just a you know, it's just a whole aura around the team. They just they just seem so happy and just vibing and just yeah, everything's Gucci and you know because because if you looked at them when you know when uh, Mazepin etc were there last year. The whole team felt like had this sort of horrible, like deathly weight to it, and just it was just awful. It just you know, it just just felt like you know, it just felt like a horrible place to be. And you know, the car was awful, and you know, Mazepin Senior was starting to put his money and all the rest of it. But having Kmart back in now into a car that has to put their resources into having a decent driver in a decent car, he's teaching Mick. The whole team looks. Excuse me. Looks happy. Everybody's getting good results. Mick will get points soon. Um, you know, he was on for a decent quality in Saudi Arabia until he had that pretty horrific accident. You know, it's good to see that he is back up and he's fit and fighting and he's you know you know he's walking around all the rest of it. Um, sensible decision, I think, by Haas on multiple fronts to not race um, because he'd have just been you know he was just yeah, you know financed all the rest of it. But having but having K Mike back in that car, it is nice to see him back. I think there's maybe a sense of almost unfinished business, or you know, perhaps not quite unfinished business, but um he somewhat left F1 too soon. And and to have Haas back scoring points. If you'd have told us last year or the year before that Mercedes would be battling on track, uh you know, for position with Haas and that Haas would be coming out on top. You, you, you'd have told people to get in the bin or something because it's like there's no way on earth that that would have happened. But yeah, but perhaps of you know they've they're like a phoenix that has risen from the ashes. They've taken the new regulations in their stride. Both drivers are doing well. The team is happy. They are you know they are firmly back in the midfield and back where they should be. And it's just so so nice to see them back and doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Mercedes had to sort out their gremlins and Haas have had to sort out their gremlins. And I came up with that whilst you were talking. I I couldn't resist. I like that. That's yeah. good. Um, good. Thank you. Uh, Ray, on to Alfa Romeo, who also seem to be doing, you know, rather well this season compared to where they were last season. You know, they've got a car that works. The Ferrari power unit is delivering. And that could also be another you know, example as to why the Haas is doing really well. But, you know, as we've mentioned, Australia is a bit of an interesting circuit. How do you see Alfa Romeo performing this weekend? I would expect Alfa Romeo to have a pretty solid weekend. You know, they've demonstrated some pretty good performance over the past few races. But there's one thing I think, you know, we need to keep on the lookout, which is the gearbox and, and the transmission, because they've been, uh, in the past two races, we've had both drivers having problems with Joe dropping from starting position all the way to the back of the field because of Andy Stall. I think that's something that you know Alfa would need to get on top of ASAP if because these kind of issues is the kind of issues that will affect their their you know result because they have the car that you know can deliver results but if they can't fix these issues it's going to drag them down and we have to look on the operation side of things as well. I think it's you could say that you know Alfa Romeo haven't exactly been on top of 
on being, you know, at the top of the game operational wise since last season. You know, we saw all kinds of errors from the team. And it did, and that happened once again in Saudi Arabia, where you know Joe got had to serve an extra penalty because they didn't serve penalty correctly the first time around. So I think Alfa Romeo has to you know reflect you know on what's gone on the past couple years on the upside and you know on the on the uh, software side of things. You know, if not, I think it's it's going to be a, I would say it's disappointing. You know, because they are performing better than we expect. But I think you know it's just not going to be such a great result from a performance standpoint because they are actually wasting the cast potential. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you mentioned, having to do a penalty again because you didn't serve it correctly, it's a bit amateurish, but, you know, they'll take it as a learning experience. I'm fairly certain they'll never do that again because um, imagine being the first, probably possibly the first team in history to, like, you know, just not do a penalty properly you know, more than once in a season. Yeah, you'd hate to be that team. But Jawad, moving on to um, Alpha Tauri. Obviously, Pierre Gasly had a horrible Bahrain. Um, Yuki Snowder, I think, scored points. Um, and they're currently sitting on eight points in the championship in P7 ahead of three teams. Obviously, last season, you know, we saw Pierre Gasly consistently fighting for, you know, like P6, P. 7p5 do you think that they've got the tools at the minute to be fighting for these positions do you think they're going to be competitive this weekend in australia they've certainly got the tools it's the reliability that concerns me and the problem that pierre gasly had in bahrain resurfaced with yuki sonoda in the last race um, so what's next, you know, uh, is that something that, you know, the Red Bull, um, family altogether have had a look at, you know, after the first two races, what's going on with the, the power unit side, like, you know, what we were saying earlier as well, has it kind of slipped into how it was with their partnership with uh, the Honda partnership with McLaren? Um, cause that could potentially derail not only Red Bull's campaign, but then AlphaTauri as well, who, like you say, they are great, you know, on the days that they're great. Pierre Gasly, such a consistent um, performer, qualifying in the top 10, getting to Q3, um, and then just being in the points, you know, often being, you know, that fourth quickest car on on race day. And then for Sonoda, after being so inconsistent last year, the hope was that this year he'd be able to hit the ground running and be able to put in those performances to not, you know, let's say beat Gasly as such, but, you know, to be there or thereabouts and to be able to stay out of the walls and to not damage the car, not be as erratic as we saw at times last year. And, you know, we certainly saw a glimpse of that there in Bahrain where he finished eighth. Um, But yeah, you know, so far both cars haven't finished uh, the race together or the two races we've had so far. So they'll be just hoping that, you know, if they can start the race even this weekend, not have what happened last time out, but to just bring both cars to the checkered flag. And if they score points, then that's great. Yeah. The one thing that any of the Red Bull powertrain cars need this season is just consistency race to race. I think, you know, like you say, AlphaTauri just need both cars finishing the race at this point. Tom, on to McLaren and what a kind of sad story it is for them, but 
Lando Norris got some points out last time around. Is this the start of, you know, a untimely resurgence? You know, obviously no one saw McLaren fighting over, you know, the last points position to be happening this season. What do you think is going to happen? Danny Ricardo's got his first home race as well, as we've mentioned. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think this is a sign of a resistance for McLaren, unfortunately. Um, I think that car does have some bigger issues than they perhaps just realised. Uh, I was very hopeful for McLaren coming into this year, so I'm sure a lot of us were, especially after a pretty damn good 20, 2020 and 2021. But they seem to have taken a few steps back, unfortunately. Um, as to whether... You know, I know Lando got points last time out in Saudi. Uh, he did have a bit of fortune his way in the sense that there were two cars in front of him that retired. Um, if not more, I can't quite remember. Um, but, you know, it made his position somewhat overinflated. He still had a good driver in the first place to get his car there. Um, but McLaren... Oh, boy, this is going to piss some people off. Um, McLaren are fighting with one hand tied behind their back. And that proverbial hand is Daniel Ricciardo. Um, I can't believe you're saying this ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. Grand Prix. I know, and I could feel Jared this burning into my... You know, this retinas burning into the back of my skull. Um, Danny Rick hasn't been the same ever since he left Red Bull. Um you know, he started to get somewhere at Renault um, and he showed some glimpses of it last year. He had some good races, but we've seen far too much of him being so not inconsistent, but just behind his teammate, you know, not getting out in Q1. Uh, sorry, you know, not getting out in Q1, um, you know, not making it to Q3, finishing outside the points many times. Um you know, yes, I know he won in Monza, and that was an, an example of when he'd had a good weekend all around. Excuse me. Um, sorry, I've got hiccups. You know, you know, but um, but that was a you know, contrary to what Netflix want you to believe, that wasn't like he, you know, that wasn't like he was reborn. That was a that was almost like a false dawn. Um, I'm sorry, I'm spitting bare bars here, but uh, um, but you know, it's just was because McLaren haven't got two drivers who are like you know, sort of like not even right up there, but like consistently in the points all the time. If you look at Carlos Sainz, if you look at what he did when he was at McLaren, bearing in mind he was there in 2019 when they were you know, when they were slowly getting there, and then 2020, you know, started to really get get up there and the team got up there um, and then if you look at what he's doing with, with Ferrari now and what he was doing last year as well you know always always just there always just about in the points um, you, you know consistent nothing sort of like you know nothing to some you know quote unquote thrown home about but was always doing a good job and McLaren are missing that with um, with Danny Rick you know he <laughs> Maybe he's past it. Maybe you know. Maybe he's never quite adopted to driving out of the Red Bull because um, obviously you know, each car has a different, different dynamic or the rest of it. Um, but just 
he's not going to be helping McLaren and McLaren are not, or McLaren are going to struggle to move forward if they don't have two drivers who are sort of, who are consistent. I'm not saying that they know that they're going to be, that they need to be consistent podium contenders every week because realistically they're not going to be, they need to build their way up. But, you know, we've seen it enough times with him now where, sorry, I've got something in my eye as well. It's all going on today. Um, you know, it, we've seen it time and time again with him where he'll just, you know, just things just don't quite click. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's an issue with the braking because, we're, you know, as we know, he was king of the late breakers, especially in that Red Bull. Some of those dive bombs he did, bloody hellfire, they gave me anxiety. Um, but just, you know, when he's in the Renault, he just didn't quite get it. And then with the McLaren, he just, you know, he just doesn't seem to, it's a, something isn't clicking. I don't know, you know, maybe it's up, you know, maybe it's up there with him or what. I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, but McLaren needs to think about the future because losing third place to Ferrari last year in the constructors cost them in more ways than one. And I think Danny Rick's contract is up at the end of this year. Possible award is knocking on the door. We're talking about the expansion into America. Just saying. Tom Downey predicts Daniel Ricciardo not at McLaren next season. Um. Yeah. No. So. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, moving on to the Aston Martins, who are currently having a bit of a horrible season, but you know they've got Sebastian Vettel coming back um, for this weekend. He's historically done very well around Albert Park. Um, do you think this is what Aston Martin needs, like giving the new bo- a, a new boost and a fresh boost to the team after obviously missing one of their two drivers with COVID? Um, and also, do you think, you know, we heard a lot of complaints from Lance Stroll last time out about how horrible the car was. Do you think there's any chance that they might have fixed some of those issues? I think, you know, it's definitely a boost for the team that Seb is coming back. You know, I think he, I think Seb, you know, I think the team probably uses Seb a lot. You know, I think Seb is a very popular driver for a reason. And I'm quite sure that the reasons why the fans love him is the sort of reason why the team likes him a lot. So him coming back would definitely be a motivational boost for the whole team, I feel. But when it comes to the car, I can't really say so many good things because if you look at it, you know, Aston Martin, even though while well, well, they were forced in India, you know, they were brilliant, you know, they basically maximized their budget. But, you know, if you notice ever since, you know, Lawrence Stroll has taken over the team, on the technical side of things, you know, I think, I feel like the team hasn't really performed so well. I mean, we saw how last year's AML 21 didn't do very well because of the, you know, technical changes they introduced. And the team was just lost throughout the year. They were trying to figure out what's wrong with the car, but, you know, they just couldn't figure it out. And with the AMR22, it's the exact same problem again. And, you know, this, this isn't like, Aston Martin doesn't have the same kind of technical ability as Mercedes. You know, Mercedes could, you know, salvage the, I think it was the W12 last year to, you know, to actually contend for the championship, you know, despite it being affected by the error regulations. But, you know, Aston Martin couldn't do that same thing with the AMR21. So I really have, don't have much confidence that the team could turn things around in just two weeks because they couldn't even fix last year's car you know, within half the year. So I'm not really positive about, you know, Aston Martin in Australia. 
But, you know, I really do hope that Seth just, you know, gets some points as comeback because I think it will be a huge boost to the team as well as, you know, to himself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, having that a good performance on your comeback obviously gives you momentum and that's absolutely what Aston Martin need right now. Just something going forward. But um, a team who, you know, are definitely struggling, I would say, this season, possibly one driver a bit more than the next but Jawad Williams P10 you know we hoped that the 2022 regulations would be the end of Williams's battles for no points um but currently so far that doesn't seem to be the case is there anything that you think like we can pinpoint that on or is it just a matter of unfortunate circumstances and you know just not having the best luck oh, it it could be easy to it would be just easy to say um, it's an unfortunate uh, circumstance of the Mercedes power unit at the moment. Um, as we know, all the Mercedes power teams are struggling and whatnot. And, you know, Williams have taken on a few more of Mercedes components from the factory team this year. Um, but look at, look at Haas, you know, they've, They've turned around their fortunes, having not developed last year's car at all. They had all that extra wind tunnel and CFD time that they got as a result of being last in the championship, like Williams had as well, you know, the second being second last or whatever. So there shouldn't really be excuses in that instance. I think as well, the drivers probably need to step up their game too. I know... For Alex Albon, it's only, what, third race back since having a year out of F1. But the expectation was on him, you know, to replace, you know, in replacing George Russell, that he would be giving similar performances as we saw with Russell. And unfortunately, that hasn't really come to fruition yet. Um, Poor Nicholas Latifi had a pretty horrible weekend last time out. And, you know, I feel like there's got to be a bit more pressure put on him too given the fact that, yeah, Williams should be a team that could easily be fighting with Haas and with Alfa Romeo um, four points this year. If they're going to be out of that points battle once we get a quarter of the way through the season, then I see no hope for them to to come back later on. And given the fact that, you know, they've done a complete restructure of um, their technical departments, you know, Jos Capito pretty much oversees everything he's got his deputy there in FX Demazon um, as well. It's It's got to work and they can't say, oh, you know, we don't have resources, we don't have the cash anymore because that's all there for them. So similar to Aston Martin, you know, they've got everything at their disposal. It's how they use it now, utilise it to be able to get the results and also the the organic piece that sits behind the wheel um, has to the the driver has to also have the input as well and I can't really predict anything good for Williams this weekend I'm sure you know one or both cars will drop out in Q1 and then they'll be you know finishing outside the points but that's not definitely not what I expected for Williams coming into 22 after the last couple of years that they've had. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a unfortunate situation to be watching them after, you know, they were clawing themselves back up after some horrible seasons. And I know we're only two races in, but, you know, seeing them at the bottom again is really disheartening. 
But, you know, we've covered the grid now. Let's have a look at some predictions. So, Tom, who's on that top step this weekend? Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc. Yep. Cool. Um, Ray, who's going to be on top for you? Charles Leclerc. Ooh, two out of two so far. Jawad, your top step on Sunday. Let's go a bit different and say Carlos Sainz gets his first F1 win. Ah, so we're expecting Ferraris currently. I'm also gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make it two two each. So Carlos Sainz on the top step. I think you know now's a good chance for him to get that final that first victory. So yeah, the rest of your podium then, please, Tom. Sorry, my head just ran out of battery. Um, you pick the order, but Max and Perez. Interesting. Uh, Ray, the rest of your podium, please. P2 and P3. Verstappen and Sainz. Uh, I think Sainz and P3, Verstappen P2. Uh, Jawad. Uh, Leclerc and Verstappen, second and third. So Ferrari 1-2 with Verstappen coming home in P3. Um, I'm going to say Sainz, Leclerc, and then I really want to not say Verstappen. Like, say it. My heart. Say <laughs> it. <laughs> Verstappen P3. Thanks, Ruby. Nah, it hurts me so much. Um, yeah, so how about a bit of a bold prediction now then? So this is, you know, something, well, bold. Is it going to happen? Probably not, but it'll be funny if it does. So, Tom, your bold prediction for this weekend, please. Hamilton scores more than one point. There was a time when that wouldn't have been bold. <laughs> and I'm really No, I know. All right, no, go on. I'll give you a real one. Danny Rick gets a point at least. That is particularly bold. Um, Ray, your bold prediction, please. Give me a moment. Let me think about this. I have two in my head now. One of it is. Mercedes will only have one car in the points. And the other is that Aston Martin scores a point. Interesting. Jawad, your bold prediction, please. I will say that we will get rain during the second half of the race. I mean, you're the Australian person here. Is there something we don't know? Um, well, currently there is like a 30% chance of showers in the afternoon next Sunday, but Melbourne weather is about as predictable as going to Monaco and putting, putting, going to the casino. So yeah, who knows? I mean, it, it might not rain at all. It looks pretty good the weather wise for the weekend, but there's always that slight chance we might get a little bit of a drizzle and, you know, that might change up how the end of the race looks. So I'll, I'll, you know, put that as my bold prediction. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to put all 20 runners to finish as my bold prediction because currently it's been a season of DNFs, really. Um, 
But yeah, it'll be interesting seeing if we can get 20 cars across that line. Um, but now is a good chance to give you guys an opportunity to promote. So, Tom Downey, you're from Everything F1. You come to us on loan. Give us, you know, what is Everything F1? Where can people find it? Slash you. Um, so, me personally, I wouldn't bother. I don't have Twitter or anything. Um, so, but Everything F1, you can find us across all your socials with the handle at JoinEF1. Uh, we have our website, everythingf1.com. YouTube channel, Everything F1. Uh, our Facebook page is the Everything F1 Paddock. Uh, sorry, the group is the Everything F1 Paddock. Um, and last but by no means least, we have our Everything F1 podcast, which goes out weekly, usually around a Wednesday, um, where we do great you know, reviews, previews, all that good stuff. But we also have a wide variety of guests, look at news, predictions, and generally just lack about a bit. Um find that across all your favorite podcasting platforms i'm not going to list them um because i can't think that fast thank you very much ray um the every every ray day motorsport podcast go and give us um something about it so well you can find me on twitter at ever ready you know with a double r and a underscore msprt because twitter doesn't like me doesn't like me write m sport and you can find me on youtube as at everready motorsport i haven't posted anything this year because i've been a bit busy but you know there'll be things coming soon yeah absolutely and people do go and uh check that out joad the hit the apex podcast and slash uh, yeah so yeah um so got my the twitter account at hit the apex media um you'll also find a link tree there to all my other stuff as well um yeah and i've just recorded my latest episode today so that should be out there on the on the podcast world a little bit of a preview for for next weekend as well and um yeah i'm more looking forward to the reviewing the race the following week because then i get to tell you all about um how much of a good time i had (laughs) and whether it rained in the second half of the race on sunday but that too that too (laughs) yeah i am currently just the host of f1 grid talk um but if you want to follow me on socials it's at rubes r-u-u-p-e-z or any variety of that depending on what platform already had an account with those um tags but yeah uh grid talk is available on youtube where most episodes are recorded live as well as amazon spotify google podcasts apple music verbal omni studio and pocket casts there you go tom um just search formula on grid talk for our back catalog of shows with previews and reactions to qualifying and race results Please consider supporting the channel on Patreon so we can get mics, lights, and better recording equipment. Um, you can get your hands on some official Grid Talk merchandise on f1chronicle.com slash store. Also, make sure you're subscribed so you're the first to know when each new episode is released. Um, we'll be back soon with plenty of more F1 content, and we'll be sticking around on YouTube um, to answer any questions, maybe discuss some things that we missed. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And goodbye.